Promo Kitchen is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Here at Promo Kitchen, we are proud to be partners with and members of PPAI, one of today's sponsors of this broadcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Promotional Products Workweek, which is May the 14th to the 18th this year. Promotional Products Workweek is an industry-wide celebration dedicated to increasing awareness, building your business, and uniting our entire industry with one mission, one purpose, and one voice. So May the 14th to the 18th, get together with your team, your peers, and your community to meet and greet, serve your community, advocate for the industry, and celebrate your customers and clients during Promotional Products Work Week. For more information, check out ppai.org slash events. This podcast has also been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and SportTech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. We are a community-inspired conversation featuring boundary pushers, rabble-rousers, freaks, and geeks who are shaking up the $23.3 billion promotional products industry. Thank you to PPAI for that latest sales figure, by the way. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of Common Skew, and on today's episode, I sit down with Paul Bellantone and Dale Denham for a discussion about how PPAI protects current industry members from outside competition. For those living under a rock, Paul is the CEO of PPAI and Dale is PPAI's chairman of the board. The impetus for this conversation was a Planet Money podcast I listened to recently called Rigging the Economy. The episode looks at how some industries use regulation as a way to restrict new entrants in an effort to protect current members. The podcast looks specifically at the dental industry in North Carolina and how they tried to restrict teeth whitening clinics from operating without a dental license. So in other words, if you were offering teeth whitening services in your local mall and were not a licensed dentist, the licensing board saw this as a crime. Here's an excerpt from the episode that frames things nicely and also creates a few parallels with the promotional products industry. Teeth whitening is a fairly simple process. It doesn't require a lot of years of school. And people in North Carolina had started opening up these little teeth whitening kiosks in malls and salons. They charge less than the licensed dentists and... Dentists didn't like that competition. And so the licensing board for dentistry in North Carolina issued cease and desist orders to teeth whitening clinics telling them to stop the unauthorized practice of dentistry. I encourage you to listen to the entire episode to find out what happens, 
But for now, this got me thinking about how our industry deals with new entrants. Some suppliers and distributors in our industry worry about lax qualifications to join our industry as this increases competition and potentially confuses end customers. I wanted to speak with Paul and Dale about how PPAI protects current members, all the while setting standards for new members so the industry continues to thrive. Are we like the dentists? Let's find out. Welcome to the program, Paul and Dale. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate the invitation. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have the two of you here. And I love the fact that we're going to get the two perspectives. Paul, of course, you as CEO and Dale, you as the volunteer chairman of the board. So really excited to have the two of you here. So let's jump into it. So in an unregulated industry like the promotional products industry, what role does PPAI play in protecting suppliers and distributors? Well, Mark, I think that's a great question to start with. And I'm actually going to challenge that assumption, I'm, I'm going to start by challenging that in the introduction. You said, what does PPI do to protect? I think you said protect the companies in the industry. Yep. The fact is, we don't. We support the companies in the industry, and we give them the tools and the resources to help them differentiate themselves from those other companies that are practicing in the industry. We give our members education, professional development, and services to allow them to differentiate themselves professionally. Right. We protect competition, not competitors. I think the key word there is support. I agree. I was a little nervous with your wording in the intro. We actually support our members, and it just kind of reminds me when we had our strategic planning session a couple of years ago, we rewrote the strategic plan and the mission statement And the mission statement now says we're the trusted leader in the promotional products industry, delivering essential knowledge, resources, and community to ensure the success of our members, those who manufacture, import, and resell promotional products, and the promotional products industry itself. We actually debated for quite some time whether or not we could ensure the success of our members. And in that, we talked about how it's what we're providing our members that they can be successful. We can't ensure their success, each and every one. We just support them in every way possible. Right. To a certain extent, I think I'm trying to be a bit provocative with that terminology and trying to draw a parallel between what you see in other industries, other industries that may be more formally regulated, like the medical business or accounting practice. And it feels on many levels that the promotional products industry is like the Wild West compared to some of those more highly regulated industries. What got me thinking about that is you have some members of our industry that will point to PPAI and to some extent ASI and will say, what are you doing to protect our business? What are you doing to prevent new entrants that are not nearly as qualified or as professional as us because by letting them in, we see more commoditization, we see more price pressure. And as a result, our industry body, PPAI or ASI, if you call them an industry body as well, what are you doing about that? And what's interesting to me is that your language is moving away from that protection and more towards support. Is there a parallel between those industries or am I reaching too far? Well, I think it immediately makes you think about our industry, but I would say that there are fairly significant differences. And so if we go back to that teeth whitening situation, you're actually dealing directly with consumers. So you have a B2C 
relationship there. And on our side, it's a B2C relationship. It's not a trade association relationship. It's a professional licensing, which is more similar to haircutting and hygienists and probably, you know, CPAs and, and those individuals that are dealing directly with consumers. Yep. From a PPAI perspective, it's a little bit different. It's business to business. Our competition isn't necessarily somebody who's dealing directly with a consumer. I would tell you that we compete with 14 other advertising media where people have the opportunity to spend money to market their businesses, all of which are unregulated, except I think TV and radio where they have, you know, they're being granted licenses, but that has more to do with airwaves than it does to do with the capabilities of any station. So I think that there's differences. There are enough differences to say we look more like an apple than an orange on this one here, you know, in terms of the comparisons. Dale, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know if it's an exact comparison, but it makes me think of the real estate market and how when I look at the realtors and how the trade associations or the realtor associations have done a great job of making sure the realtors are staying successful and relevant despite these online groups and organizations that are trying to basically put these individuals out of business. And I think that's PPAI's role. How do we support the businesses in our industry in the face of all the competition? I don't think you can protect businesses from change. I think you can support them and help guide them through the change. And I see that as PPAI's role. Right. And I think, you know, going back to the real estate example, and this gets into another question about the parallel between licensing that we see in this dental example, and I think licensing also in the real estate example, and education in the promotional products universe. In our case, I suppose one can join the industry and become a promotional products distributor or supplier by demonstrating that they have a few clients and that they've got a few vendors that they've bought for to prove they're in resale. But there's no requirement to be quote unquote educated or licensed according to a certain standard. Whereas it feels like in the dental business or in real estate, in order for you to join, you have to pass that test before you join. In the PPAI environment, you join without that. And then of course, you have the option to write your test for the CAS or the MAS designation, at least within PPAI. That to me feels like an interesting distinction. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but any thoughts that the two of you have about people coming into the industry that would need to be licensed or educated to a certain standard, or would that just be a bureaucratic mess? Well, I think, Mark, and I do spend a lot of time thinking about this. What would we actually be stopping from happening? Mm. So would we be stopping suppliers from selling to people who haven't been licensed or certified? And I don't know that that's practical. I don't know that it's legal, but I certainly don't think it's practical. Or would you be stopping that distributor or that agency from buying something and putting a logo on it and giving it to someone else? Every part of our channel exists with or without us calling it an industry, right? There's hardly any products that we have in our industry that we call our industry that can't be purchased at retail or aren't readily available someplace else. And the ability to resell those products is only differentiated by the fact that somebody's asked you to put a logo on it. So I don't know exactly 
where that certification would it exist? Would it exist on the supplier side, the distributor side, or should you have to be licensed to buy it? You know, do you have to be licensed to buy something with a, a brand that you can ultimately give away? And that's where I think about this, because I read the same blog posts that you do. I read the same Facebook posts, and I feel for the member who is struggling with it, whose customer may all of a sudden migrate into a competitor. And I want to offer more assistance. And then what we do is we turn internally and we say, let's find something to make that member better or that industry practitioner better. Yeah. Because whether it's directly through working with the association or some form of osmosis, I actually believe that a big tent is smaller than a small limited tent. And I don't think by certifying people, we would stop the uncertified from working. And a board, a previous board, has very clearly communicated that they believe that we serve our members best when we serve the industry first. And that's members and non-members and large and small. And we've hung our hat on that axiom and it's been successful so far. We've been more inclusive. It feels to me that the only area where I see a more direct parallel in terms of what PPAI has tried to do around certification or licensing is around product safety. Yes. I believe it was a couple of years ago, Paul and Dale, that PPAI required someone at each exhibiting member at Expo or Expo East to be up on product safety or a product safety certification or a test that they needed to complete to show that they were knowledgeable about current trends in product safety. And to me, that feels like it's a step towards regulation in the same spirit of this dental conversation, because it was something that you were actually requiring. Hey, if you haven't written this test, I don't care if you've got the money, you're not exhibiting at Expo. Correct. And that's a big stick that you were wielding. Did you get pushback for that, Paul, in terms of members that thought it was silly or thought that you were overreaching? Yes, I would say that we actually did consult with legal counsel before we did that. Can we restrict access to marketplace through the association to those companies that have successfully gone through their four hours of product safety education? And the answer was yes, because we weren't restricting membership in the association those companies could still remain a member, but we did require them to have that to access marketplace through the association. The flip side of that is that non-members who wanted to exhibit or buy an ad in the magazine or access marketplace also needed to do it. So we're always looking at that. You know, you cannot compel membership by putting restrictions on access to marketplace. That would be one of those antitrust situations. Dale, I'll let you take the question on whether or not we got some pushback because I have some pretty funny anecdotes about that, but I'm going to let Dale go first and then I'll see whether or not I want to keep my job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was not on the board at the time that the decision was made, but I was on the board at the time that it was implemented and such. And still to this day, we have people who complain about having to take the training. And I do think the product safety is important. I don't know if I consider it a step towards regulation or licensing, though. I see it as we had a, again, it's protecting the industry or attempting to protect the industry as opposed to protecting, Paul, I think you used the term protecting competitors or from competitors. 
And so I do think it's a little bit different, but I want to pivot a little bit, Paul, because you brought up something else, if I can. And I think it's an important point. Years ago, I forget what year it was, but I think it was in the 60s or so, PPAI was sued for antitrust. At the time, it was SAAI, Specialty Advertising Association International. And in fact, SAAI lost for some things that it had been doing. And since then, every one of our meetings, our committee meetings, our board meetings are opened with instructions saying that you can't regulate prices, quantities, goods or services, customers, territories. And I could go on, but it's boring. But the idea is we have to remind ourselves at every meeting that our purpose is not to restrict. And so, in fact, I don't see, and I guess that's why I reacted to what you said in the beginning, we are not trying to protect specific companies from owning this industry. We're trying to support those who want to be in the industry. Yeah. And the ultimate protection in antitrust is really to protect the ultimate consumer. It's not to protect competitors from each other. You lay out a fair playing field. Dale, I think your point that you had mentioned is spot on about it was protecting the industry. Our biggest fear from a product safety standpoint is one, we're all, you know, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. So we care about the safety and the health of the people who are ultimately getting our product. But equally, we were concerned that one of the major brands out there would say, you know what, we're not going to put our brand on any physical product until these people figure this stuff out. So it wasn't about mugs being safe or bags being safe or any of the thousands of products in the industry. It was more about, we're not going to do anything because we need to make sure that not only can these distributor companies grow our brand, but also protect our brand. So that to me was a form of protection, but for the larger pool of members. Paul, do you want to risk losing your job with sharing some stories about pushback on the product safety thing, or should we leave that to another day? <laughs> we had some choice words shared with some individuals here. As a matter of fact, the summer that we were doing that leading into Expo, I brought my daughter in as an intern to actually make those phone calls to suppliers. And, <laughs> and, and she broadened her vocabulary. Mm. She wanted to know if she could be like Madonna or Beyonce and just use her first name. She didn't think that the Bellantone name was carrying any clout. As a matter of fact, it was damaging her. We actually had a member who dropped some choice words to her and I called the member and I just said, you know, you shared this with one of the people here on our staff. And, and he said, yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I was a little out of hand. I said, yeah, that was my daughter. And, and he, he said, wow, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. You know, my daughter's working here over the summer too. And I said, well, why don't you put her on the phone? I'd like to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> completely diffused the conversation. But you know what? Out of the 1,400 suppliers at 1,375 suppliers that we had going into that first expo, I believe we had one company not fulfill it. Now, we had a couple of companies that actually did it the week of Expo and leading into it, but we had one company and we stood by our word and we did not allow them to exhibit. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's friction. And so people don't like friction. It's another thing they have to do. We're all busy in this business and most people aren't going to disagree with you that product safety is not important, but they probably feel that they're already up on it. And why bother filling out another piece of paperwork? So I can appreciate that. In terms of regulatory bodies, 
the CPSC, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, holds PPAI up as the standard for association for doing that. Hmm. Each year we go to our product responsibility summit. Someone from CPSC comes in and says, you know, your original tactic of just whining about requirements was not working. You took the bull by the horns, you implemented a process, and your industry now has clout within our group. And we do see that. We are able to affect more positive change for our industry because of taking that action. Right. So, And I think that this is exactly the role that PPAI should have, which is elevating the professionalism. And by doing that, we are making it somewhat harder for new entrants to come in and be as successful if they don't play by those rules. It may not be required by a license, but you raise the bar for the whole industry by doing this. And you do see people come into the industry without joining PPAI, but usually, eventually, they do tend to join PPAI more and more. In fact, earlier this year, we passed our milestone of 15,000 members for the first time in our history. Is that right, Paul? It is. So I think the strategy of improving the professionalism in the industry and supporting the industry draws people to become more professional. And while it doesn't prevent new people from entering, it makes it harder for people to compete if they're not willing to play by more professional standards. I would agree with that. So I want to flip the question, Mark, if you're okay with it. What is your thought on, you know, if you look at our industry, you gave that number $23.3 billion. Thank you for sharing that. 58% of that dollar amount comes from companies over 2.5 million, 42% under 2.5 million. You see that same breakdown that we do. What are your thoughts on it as a practitioner in this industry and one who carries themselves in a more agency-like format? I personally have never looked to the trade associations or the governing bodies like PPAI, ASI, PPPC in, in my local market here in Canada, never looked to them for protection. I don't think that, that it's your role. I agree with you that your role is to raise the professionalism of the industry. I think your job is to support and provide great educational opportunities. But I am personally of the mindset that if I am going to fail, it's my fault. It's not yours. I think that this might be an interesting way to look at it. I've also viewed the size and breadth of the industry as an opportunity for a distributor like myself or someone that started a distributor firm. Because with so many competitors out there, many of whom are lookalike and many look the same that's maybe a separate discussion, that there's a great opportunity for people that are prepared to invest in their value proposition or invest in their brand to really stand out. So what that gives you is this great opportunity as a distributor to join a huge industry that's growing at a good rate. There's a lot of opportunity to build a really nice business. And if you can carve out a nice part of the market for yourself, that's fantastic. So I personally, just to sum that up, don't think there is a place for regulation. But I think what I also think about is, is there a continuing opportunity for PPAI and ASI to improve the view of promotional products in the minds of the end client? I still think that that's something we struggle with as an industry. I still think there's 
a lot of people who view it as you know the ugly step cousin of traditional advertising. And I think that we're doing a better job of that, but I still think there's an opportunity there. So I don't think we're going to improve that through regulation, but I think we're going to improve that by PPAI being associated with more progressive organizations like Paul, what you did with Advertising Week, and I think you still do, is fantastic. I mean, that's putting us up on the stage along with these other quote unquote respected advertising media. We need more of that. So when I go to my clients, they're not like, oh, you're the swag guy. You may be a great swag guy, but you're not as cool as the ad agency that just waltzed in here before with their big pitch for a TV campaign. That still bugs me. I think PPAI and ASI can play a role there, but that's under the guise of supporting, not protecting. Let me tell you why I think we're a little bit behind the eight ball on that, and then have Dale talk about some of the initiatives that even he's been driving his chair. You know, so our industry's been around for over a century, 125 years. I think Dale's company's 130 years or so. And our value proposition in the market, not completely, but by and large, was the ability to procure product. When you think about the fact that most of our existence was pre-internet, you had line names, which were hiding company names. You know, we have price codes. We had all of these things designed to limit access to marketplace through the structure of the industry. Yep. It's really only in the last couple of decades that anybody can find any product online with or without an industry distributor or an industry supplier. So what you're seeing is the beginning of something that we've really never had to do before to help grow our industry and grow our membership. Yep. You know, with that, I would offer to Dale, Dale, talk about some of the things that the board has charged us to do because of that new dynamic in the marketplace. Yeah, I was going to start off by uh, responding to your question, Mark, about walking in and being better viewed. And I think it's something that's been talked about in this industry for a long time. And the board a few years ago made a commitment, a multi-year commitment for multi-million dollars to promote the industry. But we also know that the multi-million dollar is a drop in the bucket compared to the advertising dollars that are out there. So in addition to the money we're spending from PPAI directly into the marketplace outside of our industry to promote the industry, we're also making the toolkit and the information available to each of the members. And that's been a focus for a few years, but where the board has been focused this year and will continue to be focused with staff is making our research even better. And it's been getting better over the last several years, but it's a real priority this year. This year, we're focused on when we get our financial reports, we're also seeing our research reports and what's going on with research. We believe that making the research even better will enable each individual company as well as PPAI to do a better job representing our industry with the information. Right. And so I, I believe the research focus is going to contribute to what we already started a few years ago, even though we've been working on research for years. And I will add, in addition to that, the PR that is done, not necessarily as part of the get in touch multi-million dollar investment, but has been ongoing. It continues to. Every time there's either a negative or a positive story about promotional products, we're addressing it. And so I think that's the area where it's going to take a long time. No matter how much money you spend, it takes many years to change things. But I do think there's been the beginning of a change. And when members use the get-in-touch advertising materials, it helps them in their presentations. 
and each year they'll be updated with new stats and research. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that, that was a very worthwhile initiative, being able to get out in front of end clients and and also to give distributors the ability to talk about the industry in a way that they may not have been able to do before. Yeah. So I've got a question. Just going back to this dental association war with the teeth whitening clinics, I feel like there's a parallel between the teeth whitening clinics in their business and the distributor with no overhead in our industry or the price cutter, so to speak. I'm curious, Paul and Dale, as to whether you would agree with that. And another part of the question is, is there any evidence that a distributor that works out of his or her home without any overhead that may be doing it part-time offers any less of a professional service or experience to their end client than the distributor that has got lots of overhead, an office space, a warehouse, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a correlation between quality of service and overhead, or is that something that just does not apply anymore and people who complain about people who work out of their house with no overhead should just stop complaining? I'll approach that a couple of different ways, and then Dale will you know, give his thought, because he actually works with a lot of smaller distributors at Geiger. It's kind of their model. Yep. So we know that we have somewhere around 22,000 companies out there that can all buy the same product at about the same price and sell it to any business out there. So the value is in the story, is the way that I approach it. It's the differentiating story that you were talking about. Mark, somebody once joked with me at a conference and said, the only requirement you need to become a distributor in our industry is an employed spouse. And I thought, (laughs) and, and I heard that, and I just said, well, that's to get in, but that's not to be successful. And the amount of churn that we have on that lower revenue new entrant is massive compared to those who've made it three or four or five years. Right. Good point. But that doesn't mean that after four or five years that somebody's assumed a massive amount of overhead. What they've done was found the market niche that most resembles the way that they want to position their business. Many of the people who've become wildly financially successful in our industry, started out selling to a friend. And they started out as these small organizations. I would tell you for every $5 million distributor that I've run into who has now built up an office staff and an infrastructure, they sometimes joke with me about the good old days, about what it was like to just be able to get out there and sell versus now become business owners with staff and overhead and those things, and actually feel like they could be more profitable if they just had the ability to be the creative rainmaker that they were rather than a business owner. So I don't know that it's a limitation, but one of the things that, you know, I was talking with Kim Tador and the team that's putting together Promotional Products Work Week this year, and we were talking about the themes and what we think are important. And for me, it's I don't want to be the industry with the chip on our shoulder anymore. And I don't want to apologize for the fact that we have massive opportunity. When I look at those 14 other media that I see that we compete against on a day-to-day basis, there are very few of them that I think are going out to market with the same confidence and growth and momentum that this industry has. I mean, if you take out digital media, and you know that agency approach to you know TV, but 
you know, you didn't mention newspaper. You didn't mention B2B magazine. You didn't mention B2C magazine. You didn't mention phone books. You didn't mention all of these other things that had gone the wayside. Yep. And yet we grew 9.3% this year. I know. And I think it's time for us to kind of remove that chip on our shoulder, get in front of this parade, call it our own, and celebrate the fact that, you know, there are 28 million businesses in the United States, and there's a different type of distributor to serve each one of those businesses. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that you have very professional people in working at home, whether they're a part of a larger organization or they are standalone businesses. And I think you have very professional people at larger businesses. I think you have jerks (laughs) and horribly unprofessional people at both levels as well. And I can tell you stories, but I won't because you don't have time and I would get myself in trouble about jerks and unprofessional people in large organizations. And I can tell you about some wonderfully professional smaller businesses. I think what happens is these, you know, going back to your question, are we the same when somebody comes in as the teeth whiteners that got pushed out? I don't see it as the same. And I definitely would not want to be the industry association keeping innovation out of the industry and out of consumers, or in our case, the business-to-business buyers, I don't think the size of the organization matters in terms of professionalism. I do think what happens is certain businesses need certain things. Maybe it's a corporate program, an inventory, and that's where the smaller businesses begin to have challenges. And so I love that you can start in this business with very little overhead and choose to grow into a 5 or $50 million distributor if you put enough effort into it. And I think that's the beauty of our industry, hard work and innovation. Yeah, there becomes some pressure when some of these people start and they you know, sell at too low of a margin or such. But eventually, as Paul said, they either don't succeed or they grow up. And when I say grow up, they have to spend more money and invest more. So that, on that side, I think the professionalism is important. And then I want to go back to what Paul said about dropping the chip on our shoulder. One of the things I love about the get in touch and about the work Paul and I have been doing and Paul's been doing for longer than I have is when we speak to people, we take some of the research and there's a slide that we talk about how most people are trying to avoid ads now. We're the only industry where people aren't trying to avoid our ads. They're taking their ads that we give them and putting them on their desk. And they say, thank you when we give them an ad. And to quote Larry Cohen, who we're all friends with, when we started the Get In Touch brainstorming years ago, he said, you can't fast forward a Mm t-shirt. And I love that. And I think that it's just so important that our industry embrace that. And I think that's one of the goals of the Get In Touch campaign, both so that we internally change our perception, but we also change the buyer's perception. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, we were really involved in a local tech conference that was here in Toronto and we were the partner, the merchandise partner for it. And we had a booth and we were giving out all the product to all the attendees. And there was all this excitement around the free product that people were getting. It was well-designed. It was all to their sizes. And there was lots of social media activity about like, look at the fantastic gifts that are being distributed at such and such a conference. And we're so excited about this. And there was a strong emotional connection. And that did great things for our business at the time. And what was ironic is that if you went into the keynote sessions, the workshops, there were a number of sessions of this technology conference that talked about the death of the newspaper, the death of journalism. Right. And you had these, you know, very respected editors and journalists that had, you know, working at local magazines and newspapers 
that were all bemoaning how they were basically out of work or now their work was undervalued. And talk about an industry with a massive inferiority complex. It was that. So <laughs> I just, I, I think that yeah. in many, many times it's we're our own worst enemies because we see ourselves not as good, but the reality is not that. That's just an experience I wanted to share. Yep. Love it. And I think the other thing, and I know that our time is coming to an end here, an observation that stuck with me as I listened to this Planet Money podcast, which of course started this whole thing was, sure, on one hand, you could say this licensing board is doing a good thing for existing dentists because it's keeping these teeth whiteners out and it's keeping the teeth whitening service specific to dentists. Okay, fair enough. Maybe the dentists win in that case. But if you look at industries that are regulated as highly as, say, the dental industry versus the promotional products industry, which is fairly unregulated, look at the rate of innovation in the dental business compared to the promotional products industry. Correct. You know, it's interesting. I was having a discussion with my colleague, Bobby Lehu, the other day, and we were talking about both of us have been in the industry for around the same time, you know, 15, 20 years. And we were just talking about the product range. 15 years ago on the expo floor versus what you see now. And if that's just one example of how our industry has innovated, it's a great example of product breadth of the innovation that we're seeing, colors, the styles, the new types of vendors, like that's a great thing. And I don't think we want to sacrifice that for increased regulation so that the good old boys can continue to, you know, get fat, so to speak, on a protected industry. So I think that we're definitely going down the right path as it pertains to innovation. Before we break, can I share a couple of things with you? Please. So I'm going to take you off the hook because I know that there are people who are listening and saying, well, I get all of that, but why can't PPAI do this and help us out by you know, limiting the number of distributors? Or, And at the end of the day, it would be illegal. That's the bottom line, we can all you know, pontificate about what we wish or don't wish, but at the end of the day, PPAI serves those companies that are practicing in the industry, can show us that they bought from someone for resale or that they're selling for resale. We don't create distributors and suppliers. We serve distributors and suppliers. So that's the stock answer that goes for me on the bottom of all of those Facebook posts. Yep. There are two other things that I would share with you, though. In many, many, many cases, trade associations like PPAI find themselves on the wrong side of history. Hmm. You know, I would say that the Taxicab Association has found themselves on the wrong side of history when they fought against Uber and Lyft. I think the hotel industry is finding themselves on the wrong side of history when they're looking at Airbnb and their innovation in industries that they're challenging. The innovation. And I even look at the restaurant association who spent millions of dollars. And this is actually a Seth Godin statement that they were fighting to maintain the right to smoke in restaurants out of fear, out of fear of change, and that they thought that their clients would leave and the customers wouldn't come to the restaurants. And, and restaurants resurged after that. There was actually a resurgence in customers going to it. I don't want PPAI to be on the wrong side of history on any of these things. And then one final thought on this, you know, you're talking about the tooth whitening, but in 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States actually ruled against the dentists in the state, I think it was in North, yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina. 
And they said that the determination of a state regulatory board can be actionable as antitrust if the board is composed of market participants who are using the power of the state to shut out competition. So clearly, even though those groups were protectionist and doing what was ultimately, they felt was ultimately in the best of their constituents and members, they were on the wrong side of history. And I think that's ultimately the way this organization, the governance of this organization looks at it. Excellent. What a great way to end things. I know that, Paul, you've got to run. And Dale, you've been very generous with your time just getting back from Asia. And the two of you have uh, got lots of work to do. But this has been a real pleasure. I appreciate you, the two of you, geeking out over this topic and that PPAI and certainly ASI as well is doing some very interesting things to support and continue to make sure that members, new and old, continue to thrive in this business. So thank you so much for your perspectives. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.